want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I wanna hear it. I wanna read it. I wanna bit of shelf indulgence. I wanna hear it. Good evening and welcome to tonight's episode of Shelf Indulgence on to tonight's program. And it's a special but big one tonight because, ladies and gents, we are off to Middle Earth. Wendy, uh, Emily, and Matt join me tonight to discuss Middle Earth. Uh, welcome all. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kick things off by going out on a bit of a limb here and uh, offering my opinion that never has an author so thoroughly created a world than Tolkien. When you look at worlds that authors have created, whether it's Dickensian in London, whether it's the Potterverse, whether it's the Discworld, whether you look at Gotham uh, from the DC series, all these different worlds where different things have happened and places, no one has gone to the extent that Tolkien did. Because here was a man who didn't just create the world, but he wrote its mythologies, he wrote its languages. He went so, so deep into it that you could literally buy the guidebook and, you know, if you, I, I genuinely think if they were to create a virtual representation of a literary world, this would be the easiest for them to do because there's so much detail. Let's, let's start with Wendy. Wendy, what was your first, first visit to Middle Earth? Um, my first visit to Middle Earth was um, when I was 15 and we had to read... Silmarillion for uh, English course, um, and uh, I was not an, the easiest book to start no, with. I was an avid reader, and it beat me then, so I didn't finish it. I don't think, um, and I haven't. Um, oh, oh no! And then I read the Hobbit after that, and I found the Hobbit easier. But I haven't revisited it since then, so well over forty years. Um, actually, well over. No, 50 years. Fourth off. And um, yeah, somewhere around that. And um, and so I decided I'd 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 have a go. And I got to a ha- page 132 and I felt I was losing the will to live. So I got a confession to make. I um I also had a copy of uh, The Hobbit on audiobook narrated by Andy Serkis. So I started listening to it. Oh, it was absolutely fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to be, I think that's an interesting topic tonight because uh, for me, what I found was I found the book um, far too, I, I got bogged down far too much in it. I couldn't stand all the songs because I've got no <laughs> for a for a um, and it was really starting to tick me off. But the moment I started to listen to Andy Circus narrate it, what I realised was it transported me back to when I was in infant school, and the last twenty five minutes of every every day used to be sitting around on the floor with the teacher reading. 
And they always used to manage to get you to a cliffhanger before the bell went. And then you had to wait until tomorrow. And I'm quite sure that half the kids in my school only turned up the following day. (laughs) They couldn't miss the next gripping episode of whatever we were reading. And honestly, I felt exactly like that listening to Andy Serkis. He was brilliant. He did all the voices. He sang the songs. His his, uh, intonation, his phrasing, it was absolutely superb. And I couldn't not listen. I I felt like those cliffhangers were there. And I was missing that from from the written version. I didn't get that. So, obviously, he's a better reader than I am. Well, I think it's different styles of reading. Mm. Certainly, in my love of Shakespeare, uh, you know, Shakespeare was not written to be read. It was written to be seen and heard. And, you know, there have been, uh, you know, quite a... There's been quite a bit of money um, raised in the uh, converting of Tolkien to cinematic efforts. Yeah. You could argue that again, is this something that translates better to the video, visual, and audio worlds than? And do you know what, Wendy? What I'd say there, in response to what you say about a confession and cheating by listening, I disagree. I think being read to is something that's highly pleasurable. Oh, it is absolutely, and. I advocate massively for audiobooks. I often listen to audiobooks when I'm traveling. Mm. Um, if I'm d- traveling and I'm driving, obviously I can't read, which, mm. you know, I've tried it, but, you know, the people, the pedestrians, anyway. Um, the point is that <laughs> I just I should add, for legal reasons, I am not advocating <laughs> oh, driving and I, I've never actually done it. Um, <laughs> but when you are driving to have an audio book and to have someone read to you, you know, it's really, really a pleasurable thing. And whether that's Stephen Fry reading the Harry Potter series or Andy Serkis reading Tolkien, who does it beautifully, or actually uh, Neil Gaiman reads his own work quite often, which I think is one of my favourite ones to listen to. Love listening to Neil Gaiman read himself. The uh, and some of the Pratchett books actually make great audio books. Neil Gaiman recent last year did um a, some uh, Charles Dickens stuff for Christmas, which was just gorgeous. Yeah. Oh. And and I don't think it is cheating because you're right. That's it's a childhood pleasure being read to, and it's one that we lose as adults. Mm. And actually, I think being read to is a delight. I I love being read to. Um. And equally, I think it's something, you know, I don't, I don't think you've done the wrong thing there at all. I would encourage anyone who struggles with the written text to engage with the audio text. Always. What made me realise is that I shall do that in the future. If <laughs> I struggle with reading a book, I, I will try the audio and see if that makes a difference. Because for this, it's written in a style that just is, a, it's not me. Um, it's not written in my style, but I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed the story. Um, and I, I, I just think it was, it, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like Grimm's Fairy Tales on steroids um, because it's so rich and so compact and so layered. 
um, that they are children's books. There's no two ways about that. And in terms of the way they're written, you can you can really tell that. But absolutely, if you're a if you're a reader as an adult, you would find the stories really pleasurable. Yeah, that, well, it's it's phenomenal writing. Um, I think you're right. They are children's stories because they they indulge in all those elements of fancy that we all adore as children. But mm. what he does in the same way as what makes Dahl a master of children's literature is that he includes the darkness. Yeah, oh, oh, without a doubt, yeah. And, you know, children are not idiots. They are aware of the dark things in the world. It always and, makes me laugh when you look at all the, the modern stuff, particularly that you see on film nowadays. They'll say, you know, it's got contained scene of mild, uh, mild peril um, as a warning for young kids. This has got not mild peril. This has got <laughs> stuff that would frighten the bejesus out of you. Um, and, and yet it is absolutely written for children. But you can imagine that children would love it because there is such humour in it. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, I not well, have read it, but listening to it, I just loved it. I think um, for me, uh, Tilly and the Book Wanderers, which was one of the children's books that we reviewed, um, in that they discuss which books would be safe to visit. And Middle, <laughs> The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings are like, do not visit these places. <laughs> <laughs> Extreme risk of death. Yeah, I absolutely get that, yeah. Yeah. Because um, that's one of the things in Tilling the Book Wanderers, if you die in the book, you die in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't read those books. But, Matt, what about for you, Middle Earth? Um, so I've, I've, uh, I've not read loads of it. I've read The Hobbit and I've read The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, I've obviously seen all the films... Um, and I've played some of the games that they've done as well. I got into it that way. But, yeah, I mean, that's what introduced me, really. It was the films. Like, as a kid, I remember going, I think it was, like, probably my 11th, 12th birthday. I think it was my 12th birthday. I went to watch Fellowship of the Ring. And, uh, you know, it was, so it was just terrifying. But, you know, good. It was just like, I, you know, I'd never seen anything like it because... Fantasy stuff was always, I guess, cartoons when you were when you were a kid. You didn't really get, yeah. or, or you know, like really old eighties you know, films like The Dark Crystal and stuff, where it all looked a bit, you know, shabby but scary whoa, whoa, in a whoa. different way. Yeah, let's <laughs> not go down that road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. part of its charm though, isn't it? It does, you know, it's the not necessarily the puppets or anything that look shabby, but the and the 80s style itself, the 80s, like, I call it dirty fantasy. It's like yeah. a, a grimy fantasy yeah, yeah. where everything's dusty and and just looks a bit, and the hair's all dry, like they've all shampooed too much in, in the <laughs> fantasy world. Um, but yeah, it's, it's got that kind of thing, whereas this was like obviously something new and then every, like, and this is like, you know, books are scary, they're real villains and you've got this flipping giant guy with a whip and and you know, Gandalf is gone in the first film, and you're just like, "Hey, eh? I thought he was like a main character. What's going on?" And then, so uh, yeah, got into it, and then I read The Hobbit and loved it. Um, then I read Fellowship of the Ring, and it was completely different and a lot harder to read than The Hobbit. 
Um, so it's still like I've got because I've got a collected version of you know the Lord yeah. of the Rings. I'm like right, keep that downloaded. I'll go back to it after a couple of books and yeah, still still working my way up to it. So it's one to psych yourself up for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. two hundred yeah. books later, like, you've not gone back yet. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, I should do this, but then I'll just do this one first. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Fear of the Balrog the is there with with that book, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and Emily. Uh, my first visit to Middle Earth was actually only a couple of weeks ago because I'll be honest, I've never been interested whatsoever in reading it. So when I was a kid, there was the whole like, you either like Harry Potter or you like Lord of the Rings. It was kind of like, which one do you prefer? And I've always been a self-confessed Harry Potter fan all the time over anything. Um, <clears throat> but obviously I knew that we were doing this show. So I, I read The Hobbit for this. Um, I do plan on reading Lord of the Rings when I can mentally prepare myself um for how heavy it's going to be because it's the first thing people say is oh it's really heavy so good luck and i'm like oh cheers thanks <laughs> um the hobbit was not what i expected because everyone like i expected it to be just as heavy but it wasn't it was obviously it's obviously really easy to read um obviously it's for kids i, I was surprised by how fast paced it was to the point where like he could re write about four or five months worth of an adventure in a paragraph which obviously is good because you don't want you don't want it to drag but sometimes i felt like it was a bit much i was a bit like whoa whoa slow down a bit explain some stuff for me before you move on to the next thing that like that's like an old-fashioned thing isn't it that they like if you read old like uh, king arthur stories and stuff yeah. like that it's like and then they went on about seven of the greatest adventures of their life yeah uh, but then they found the holy grail Yes. What are those seven adventures? Yeah, Tell like, me more. Like, they're the best I'm ones, and you're not telling me. Some of the explanations are a little bit like, where are you going? Come back, kind yeah. of thing. Um, this, I agree with Wendy. The songs also did my head in. Um, I think that is tainted a lot by the films, though, because you don't expect it, because you expect it to be a lot darker. Like, I think the, what the major is the biggest. What, 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 what was it said to me? Orcs don't sing. What, what's that? Like, I'm not being funny, but orcs are the scariest thing in Lord of the Rings. If they came and sang at me, I'd be like, yeah, I'm not too scared of you no more. <laughs> yeah, but it's, you're, you're not singing it in a scary enough tone. That's probably why. Yeah, you need me the to sing scary songs. You need, you need me to I still sing think it. it's ridiculous. And <laughs> another thing I was a bit disappointed by were the elves. I expected them to be like majestic and elegant and beautiful, yet really serious and really like really strong and they were like merry little i imagined them like jumping and skipping and stuff and i was like this isn't quite what i wanted from elves again tainted that's by the, the film that's the films isn't it I yeah 100 percent. i'll be the first to admit it. it's just yeah because the elves are my like head, that's all i could see like dwarves dwarves in the books are quite serious in comparison to in the film yeah. where they're more yeah it's like flipped, they're the only ones it? I accepted the singing because, again, you you see it in the film. It's definitely tainted by the film. So, um, <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was the dwarves. Was that you could uh, in my head? Um, there is there were uh, there were inches away from the three stooges. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could imagine these very slapstick sort of fights with them when they're bickering with each other um and they were literally you know i could see mo in my head with a colander on his head it was it was and i didn't expect that i didn't expect the level of humor 
and of fun and of um, Nicky taking, really. I didn't expect that at all. See, I, I find the dwarves of Middle-earth to be uncannily similar to the dwarves of the Discworld. We, yeah, we were just, before we came on air, that was exactly the conversation <laughs> that and I were having. You've spent every day looking out that window wondering, where's my life going? Well, it's time to buck up, because now you know. Thanks to Microbrew Radio. Join Microbrew Radio now and find a direction, not just for yourself, but for your community, for your family, your friends, for everyone. Join now and become a presenter or just something more. Here at Microbrew Radio. Come down to the brew house and talk to us. We'll be happy to speak. Or if not, you can get in touch with us on our social media platforms at Microbrew Radio or microbrewradio at gmail.com. Microbrew Radio. The radio for you. Tolkien is without doubt a master of language. You know, to have written the languages he wrote, to put the detail and depth in, and then to take the English language and to use it in such a beautiful way to tell these stories, uh, to demonstrate such mastery in so many different styles of English through his writing, through both lyrics and song and prose, and to bring in all the different elements he uses for all the books. Um, and the way that the different races have different speech patterns and different styles of speaking. Mm. Um, you know, here's a man who really understood language, and that comes through in his writing for me. I think my, my first visit to Middle Earth was pre-films uh, and was The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit first uh, as a boy. Um, and then... I started The Fellowship of the Ring before the first film came out. Uh, so I had a bit of a strange relationship with the books and the films because mm. for me, the, the Hobbit was a book first but rather than a film first. And then The Fellowship was a book first, not a film first. And then the others were films first and then books first. Book second, rather. Um, so it happened like that, which is kind of similar to what happened with me for Game of Thrones, because I'd read some of the books before I saw it, and then the TV overtook where I was in the books. So um, I think that creates an interesting place in your brain. I will always remember as well that when they announced that Peter Jackson was making the films... Now, do any of you three know of Peter Jackson's back titles? Yeah, it's, it's horror films. Yeah. <laughs> so Peter Jackson's early um, horror films from New Zealand are quite disturbing. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, there's, there's a bit with a lawnmower and monkey rats. And, yeah. Anyway, um, 
So when I heard he was making Lord of the Rings, I was like, really? Really? Peter, Jack- Peter Jackson, who made... Okay. Okay. Um, and... But he, I think, he did a masterful job in some ways, then let me down in others. So, and I don't know how much of it was him and how much of it was the studio, obviously, but when I read The Hobbit, what is unusual about The Hobbit's translation from book to film is they take one book and turn it into three films. (laughs) And literally every detail is in the films, which never happens. Yeah, I was surprised about that when I read it. They didn't miss anything out. Whereas what they did with the books of The Lord of the Rings was they were like, oh, we don't need that. Those chapters can go and cut all of this and all of that. I think a big thing with that, though, that's a sign of the times, isn't it? Popularity. Popularity. I think they thought Lord of the Rings did really well. So let's. Stop it, let's make The Hobbit into three as well. Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't do that, did they, with film? They didn't, like, they didn't. you didn't have three films for one book. That was, like, they only yeah. started doing that later. Yeah. Uh, I remember when they did it in Harry Potter, it was just like, what? Why is the last film two? That doesn't make sense. The others weren't. And now now you would expect it. You would, you know, they do a whole TV series for one book. I can't like think that. that the, first and foremost, they are made for the American market. And um, and I think Americans would. Str- I, I, I'm a massive fan of the Big Bang Theory, and and I, I don't know whether you've ever watched the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. I love it. And one of the themes, continuing themes through all of the series that they've ever done, is that you are you are either a Harry Potter fan or you're either a Tolkien fan. And it's really clear. Oh, that that's all, how I grew up. Yeah, and all of the Big Bang Theory uh, cast. Um, characters are uh, Harry Potter fans. They they want nothing to do with Tolkien, um, and I think it's. It, it, I do think it's because um, they would struggle with that Middle Earth language. If you look at reading styles, I'm not talking about intelligence or IQ or anything. I'm just talking about style and fashion. That if you look at the reading styles of Americans generally they like things that are faster paced you have to get to the point relatively quickly you can't have millions they, they they strip very complex books back to the basic minimum and i think that's what he ended up doing otherwise you would have had to go and camp out and the films would have lasted five days yeah you know beautiful <laughs> Um, but, um, I mean, let, let's focus on some features of Middle Earth then. Um, first of all, I'd like us all to go to possibly one of my favourite literary scenes of all, everything I've ever read. Okay. And that is when the trolls capture them and are going to have them for dinner. Now, it's just, well, Emily, what did you tell me about the trolls and the way they speak? can't remember. can't remember? No. Because you, you, you didn't expect them to sound like they did, did you? Uh, common as mock? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it was funny. 
Yeah. It, I can't it, remember it, what I said, though. Well, you're like, oh, the trolls are like, I think you're, you might have said this sounding like Swaddies, but... Uh, <laughs> Possibly true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, they are, they are this common... Uh, they've got this almost a bit of northern accent going on. Salt of the earth. Yeah, there's a less derogatory way of putting it, Matt. Thank you. Um, (laughs) They are are salt of the earth, and they're kind of not what we expect from trolls when we listen to other literature. But they're, I mean, it's just beautifully comically written. Absolutely comically written. It was good. It was a good bit. Um, it's one of the highlights for me. Um, so let, let's think about Middle Earth and its cast of millions. Um, which race would you side with then? <laughs> I mean, so that's you, a... does that mean like who you prefer or who you would like to be? Well, because I, <laughs> I'd want to be an elf <laughs> from the films. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I was born a hobbit. I've got flat feet. <laughs> A big, flat and hairy. I don't like wearing live shoes. I live on the land. Yeah. I'm quite short. And I love food and beer. So I am. And, and I have on on one occasion, a friend of mine that I used to work with when we lived on cruise ships, we ate like hobbits for the day. <laughs> and and fitting all those meals in. It's hard work, you know. It is hard work. That second breakfast that really kicks it off, isn't it? <laughs> I'm a firm believer in second breakfast. Okay, it's the set most important meal of the day. Second breakfast. I think um, uh, Bilbo. Bilbo, when the dwarfs are all coming round his house, I think yeah. we can all agree that that is that, that is how I feel when anyone comes round. You know, when you're like, what? Yeah, so what? Why are you at my door? Yeah, this and is my it, space. And it keeps happening. <laughs> one of my favourite bits in my review on um, Goodreads and it was when every time Bilbo thinks about wants to go home and the sentence always ends with not for the last time. I love that. <laughs> every single time he thought of it and I was like, I like that. That's really good. <laughs> he is the most courageous coward that's ever been written. <laughs> yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. Because in his own mind he believes himself to be a coward. I was shocked at how quickly he was willing to join them at the start, though, because the film portrays him to be like, no, 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 don't want to do that. But it was pretty much like, yeah, OK, then. For the whole for the whole thing, he was just a bit late. Yeah, I was a bit confused by that. The thing with Hobbits is that they are... <laughs> I'm at it, you've, you've, you've realised, you've um, contaminated me. Um, the thing with Hobbits is um, that they're quite vain creatures, and so all you have to do is, is butter them up a bit, and they'll do whatever you want them to do. <laughs> yeah. You get because that's what Gandalf does, the master manipulator. He is, isn't he? Uh, he? He very much takes the role of a conductor, I think. He does. He absolutely yeah. does. There's another bit that I wrote down I thought was quite funny. Yeah. It was on page 154, the dwarves don't know where Thorin's gone, and they're really concerned. And they go, oh, well, well, we'll think about it in the morning. We'll go sleep. And I was a bit like, not so sure about that. You don't really care that much, do you? <laughs> well, you've got to prioritise. Sleep is important. Like, if you could say you wouldn't go to sleep, you'd go and find him. But they were like, oh, let's just have a nap. It'll be all right. Yeah. I was a bit like, <laughs> but that, that comes through loud and clear because every time they're hungry, that takes over. They don't give yeah. a no. where they are or what danger they are. hungry. 
opportunity to sit neat. They'll take it every time. Yeah. <laughs> Leave that bit. Definitely <laughs> an impulsive species, the dwarves. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, like, Gandalf's pretty capable, isn't he? Like, it's, yeah. You know, now, now, speaking of the wizards, then, so obviously in the films we do encounter three wizards. Um, we, now, who's your favourite? I mean, Gandalf's the easy choice, right? I like that yeah. one. Radagast, I suppose, is he? Yeah. Radagast. I, I love Radagast. I was going to say him. He's really funny. Gandalf, I mean, he's the right choice as well, and he? he's the only one yeah. that really does stuff. He gets stuff done. He's yeah. getting involved. Everyone else is just doing their own thing or being, you know, super evil. Yeah. And there uh, is, I think there is, for me, between him and, is it Sauron? Is it Sauron? Saruman. Saruman. Um, the difference between those two is that Gandalf has wisdom and Saruman is driven by power. Mm. And there's a real, it's a <laughs> juxtaposition, particularly in the film, where they are, where he locks him away in the, on, on top of the tower and, and they're having the fight. Um, you, you realise that this is, it's good old-fashioned, good against evil, isn't it? It's one of those, um, it's one of those classic battles, really. Yeah. They were actually friends, though, weren't they? I mean, I don't know, because um, obviously yeah. I haven't read them. But yeah, and also um, Saruman mentored Gandalf. Mm. Yeah, it's like well, that. The other one has giant rabbits, so... <laughs> Radagast is cool. He's, you know, like the comic was, relief, isn't he? Wizard yeah. comic relief. If I was following one to battle, it would be Gandalf. <laughs> if I was looking for a good time, I'd want to go for a beer with Radagast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. again, if you, it's not difficult to see where Terry Pratchett got Rincewind and you know the Unseen University from. It's, yeah. The, the parallels are so strong. Um, yeah, there was definitely influence. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, I'd like us to focus briefly on possibly the most overlooked species of the books, and that is the Ents. Would you think they're overlooked? Everyone knows the Ents, don't they? They do, but do they get their moment of glory? Yeah, they, do they, they, they your... take down the tower. They do take down the tower, but I, particularly in the films. Are they the trees? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, see, obviously not in the Hobbits. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> in in the films, I just feel like it was a little bit. Oh, and then the end did this. Yeah, but don't I, I think that that might be a personal prejudice because <laughs> you are, let's be honest, Jim. Without being derogatory in any way, shape, or form, you're a bit of a tree hugger. I am a bit of a tree hugger. <laughs> and so perhaps they didn't have the sort of, they didn't get their just desserts in terms of um, exposure in the books, maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, I love the Ents. I think they are, I, I am, without doubt, a self-confessed tree hugger, Wendy. I often hug trees. I frequently talk to trees. Um, and... For me, I really think the Ents are possibly the most realistic of the characters mm. from Tolkien's world because 
I really do think trees talk to each other. You know, we're finding out now from, a, you know, it's a scientific fact that trees have this underground network through um, the fungal network. They can talk, they can communicate chemically with each other. And they have these very slow, drawn up conversations about warning each other of what's happening, etc. And when one of them is dying, the others all know. And, and I just think the idea of the Ents, and actually, I suppose one of my favourite bits about the Ents bit in the books is the way that uh, it's Merry and Pip, isn't it? Mm. When Merry and Pip go um, to the Ents, you know, you can't get to much more different creature than hobbits and tree. Mm. <laughs> you know, hobbits, very impatient, wants to do everything now or not do anything at all. Ents, very, very considered and very, very deliberate in about everything they do. So that juxtaposition, I think, works beautifully. Wake up. It's time to put on your walking shoes. Get ready for a walk. Walk up to your front door and take the walk outside of it. Walk down. Walk out. Get walking. Walk stronger. Walk faster. Walk harder. Walk like you've never walked before. Because now on your walk, you have the Microbrew Radio app in your pocket, playing all your favourite songs and shows on your walk. So if you could visit one place on Middle Earth, where would you go? Matt, let's start with you. Uh, the Shire. I mean, it's just nice, isn't it? It's just like everywhere's yeah. so nice, so homely. You've got pubs. You know, you'd be, it'd be a nice little holiday, relaxed. I mean, there's not many places that aren't fraught with danger and horrendousness. And I suppose no. that's like, you know, maybe if you go in The Hobbit, there's there's a few places that are a bit more, you know, Rivendell yeah. as well. But yeah, The Shire for me, that's always the one, you know. I don't know if it's the music as well. They'd have to play the music while I was there. Yeah. That, that would yeah, be... Deal breaker. Yeah, yeah, of And Gandalf's got to turn up with his uh, fireworks. Yeah, neither late nor early. Neither late that's, nor that's, early. That's, that's really... the... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it for me. When um, we went to... Uh, we visited um, New Zealand on holiday and we spent two days trying to find the... We tried <laughs> to find a bag end. It was, it's on all the tourist maps and we kept driving up and down this road and we couldn't find it and it turned out <laughs> and this is this is the irony in this is just beautiful you couldn't write this the farmer whose land it was on made them leave everything externally as it was so they took all the internal sets out but they left the hillocks and they left the main doors and they left everything in place so that he would have a tourist attraction um and then got fed up of having all these people wanting to come and knock on the door so he closed it 
took all the time out, didn't tell anybody, and just said, you know, and it, it's so hobbit-like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm fed up of all of these people. I'm just going to take and I'm, you know. And it, it was bizarre. We never got to see it because he literally decided that he didn't want tourists <laughs> all over his land um, and so closed it down. Yeah. So I had a chance. I would really love to go to Bag End and actually have a look because we didn't have a chance the first time. Yeah, you literally went the other side of the world and you could. Yeah. You, you were so close. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh. And, and I remember on one occasion we were we pulled up and we'd because Andrew's a bit of a map reader. And he'd worked out exactly where he was. And we stopped the car on the side of the road, got out, and we were having a look. And Andrew was saying to him, it's just the other side of that hill. Not helpful. <laughs> no. <laughs> Great. But, yeah, so there's um, there may be some hobbits alive and well and still living in New Zealand. <laughs> I can go again now. Want to go? Is it Rivendell that, where the elves are? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm rubbish at trying to remember where they all are. There. Rivendell. Because uh, in my head, I'd love to be some majestic, like, beautiful elf. Probably more of, like, a troll, but I'll, I'll pretend I'd like to be an elf. <laughs> for me, I think, I mean, obviously, I've said I'm, I, I love the Hobbits, and without a doubt, uh, I'd love to live in the Shire. In a, in a way, I kind of feel like I do. Because, you know, where we live, you know... We're pretty close to where Tolkien was from. Yeah. And, you know, I think when he wrote about the Shire, he wrote about our countryside. Well, that that is absolutely the theory, isn't it? That it's yeah. the Midlands. And and Sarehole Mill is literally just on the outskirts of, of Birmingham. He he spent a lot of time at Birmingham University. And they talk about the the little um, bedsit that he had looked out uh, over the over the river. And you've got literally the two towers, the two water towers that you can see, that yeah. you can see from his bedroom window. Yeah. Um, and so they say it was absolutely um, inspired by the Midlands and, and, yeah. and the Industrial Revolution yeah. and all of that. You can see it, it's, you know, yeah. the back country is at the heart of uh, Middle Earth without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So for me, if I could visit anywhere, we'd have to go back in time a bit, but I'd love to visit the dwarves at the peak of their civilization. And go and feast in the hall of the mountain kings. Mm. You know, uh, what a part, what, what a, a part. Going. <laughs> yeah. Warren did do my head in a little bit, though, I must admit. I thought he was very privileged. I felt like he was like the epitome <laughs> of a privileged white male. And I was like, oh, just get over it. You lost some gold. Like, <laughs> shut up. Hang on a minute. Did my head in a little bit. If we're talking about privileged male environments, Pick out on you know just on the fingers of one hand, pick out the female characters in the. Yeah, we said this before, didn't we? It's like yeah, it's, they are human Not there, are they? It's basically the the female elves, pretty much. Yeah, and I think this is I think this is probably like a big thing with the divide between sort of the difference between Harry Potter and and sort of Middle Earth. Yeah, it's like you know. One's about 
inclusivity and it's got all sorts of people and you know someone that's not accepted by even his own family finds inclusion at the school and then one's about white men yeah <laughs> like, well, not wrong yeah <laughs> good and bad but it is just yeah it, it kind yeah. of it, it, I can understand the differences between the two and why, why they are such different. of its era. Yeah. It is, but what it does show, I, and this is just, this is my meandering, so this might not be accurate. Um, but one of the things that happens, if you if you work a lot, I used to work a lot in, in the black country, and, uh, and the one thing that you find there is is how parochial, the um the the black country really is so if you just look at accents so an accent can vary within half a mile yeah i mean audibly you, you know you can tell somebody who comes from friar park and somebody who comes from tipton yeah. and they're, you know they're really geographically they're not that far away but but you know linguistically and it was the same round here with the pits when the in, in Derbyshire, from one village to the next, the pits almost spoke a separate language. Yeah. And so it makes you wonder whether the trolls were one tribe and the dwarves were another tribe and the elves are another tribe. And they they, you know. If we're going on to like species and tribes and stuff, then the one of the things that I, I remember putting in the uh, shelf and Dunders chat was the difference between an orc and a goblin, which baffled my head a little bit. Because obviously, I don't know about all additions to The Hobbit, but in mine, it said that the English translation to an orc is a goblin. So I took that as, oh, all right, then he's changed it from orc to goblin. But then I thought, but why? Where's the orc gone? Why is it changed? And then Johnny, who obviously, unfortunately, isn't here, but he's like, most knowledgeable of talking about yeah. yeah. He All was like, oh, they're him. the same, but sometimes they're different. And I was like, that doesn't really help me, Johnny. <laughs> I was a bit like, what's the difference? Orcs are goblins, but not all goblins, goblins are... are orcs. Yeah. It's like, it's more like um, a different race than a different species, isn't it? Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. And then the Urukai as well. Oh, don't. Don't add a third in, for goodness sake. <laughs> you can spot them because we'll they've got white handprints. <laughs> yeah. Sorry? They've got white handprints on their face, so they're easier to... Yeah. Oh, yes, crowd. I remember them from the film. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Um, so I've got a question for you, Jim. Um, having read this and not got on with it, and then having listened to it and absolutely adored it, um, how do you become a Tolkien fan? Because... I would guess that lots of people try to read yeah. it. To it, I think if they come to the Fellowship of the Ring first, I'm just wondering how many people fall at the first fence. How do you become a Tolkien fan? I think a lot of people fall at the first fence. I I'm think, scared to read it. <laughs> I think to become a Tolkien fan is a labour of love. Um, I think for me, I... Something Tolkien and I share is the love of language. I adore language. I adore accent. I adore dialect. I, I adore playing with language. I learn, enjoy loving other languages. You know, I, to me, language in all its forms is wonderful and beautiful. And I love seeing the patterns and the shapes and the similarities between languages. And 
so forth. And so I think if you are someone who is a lover of language, um, that helps. Um, I think you need to be able to have a certain degree of patience, particularly with the Lord of the Rings itself, because it does take its time to unfold. It's an epic journey. Um, and, and you know, and there's bits and details that are missed out that, for me, you know, from, from the Lord of the Rings, Gimel is love interest, which is completely cut. You know, the fact that he loves her, uh, he falls in love with this beautiful elf, and actually she gives him a gift which she denied one of the chief beautiful elf blokes of all time. And there's just so much level and layer and and also I think a little bit of understanding of the man. Um, maybe before you read The Lord of the Rings, and again, anyone who's thinking of reading Lord of the Rings, it may be worth watching the film Tolkien first. I must admit, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I wanted to go to the cinema to see it, but I think it came out. Did it come out during COVID? It I didn't remember, but it wasn't far off. Yeah. yeah. So. so I've not actually seen it, but I would like to see it. It's on Disney Plus, and it? yeah. Oh, okay. And it's sure it is it, it's it's beautiful it's really really well done um and knowing more about tolkien and who he was and his experience with war and his friendships uh, that informs a lot and i suppose um, it explains the sort of male heavy yeah tone of the books as well yeah yeah, because, you know, all of his, a lot of what he's writing about is his experience and going on this epic journey and this epic fight against evil, that was his wartime experience. And at that time, women didn't go to war in the same way as men did. Um, and the fellowship, you know, the fellowship was a real thing. That was what he and his friends at university called themselves. They called themselves a fellowship. And going off to war and having that experience flavoured his work so much. And for me, having read Tolkien, having learnt about the man himself and then reread bits of it and then the, the journey with the films as well, and I'm really looking forward because Netflix have was, got it in production at the moment, haven't they? I was going to say, what have people it's thought Amazon. about that? The Amazon. Um, it's Amazon, is it? Yeah. It's Amazon. Rings of Power. Um, yeah, and I think surely to any author, the ultimate compliment is that you've written a story so good that everybody wants to retell it. You know, and that's what, for us as a species, and I think this is what Tolkien got through his love of language, is that we are storytellers. That's our, that 
in the most traditional way as well. Oh, I think Jim's frozen. <laughs> I think he has, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. In the most yeah. traditional way, what you get is that sense of real traditional, old-fashioned, almost yeah. ancient storytelling, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, he was, a, he, and he was, a, he was a big fan of like, uh, f- like folk tales and um, mythology, wasn't he? Because I know there's a lot of stuff in it that's based on like Norse mythology and our own mythology and things like that. Um, yeah, there are echoes of it, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's probably also where where you sort of get that fairy tale storytelling from, because mm. um, mm. they're when they're retold, it's often like that, isn't it? It is. It is. And and I think um, ultimately there was always um, if you look at the old fashioned uh, fairy tales, there was always a moral to the story. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes in modern books that's difficult to, to um, spot sometimes, isn't it, Matt? Yeah. But for this, it's really clear, in, and I would guess for all of his writing, it's really clear that the moral of the story is that ultimately if you stick at it and if you're courageous, um, good will always defeat evil. That's that's yeah. the moral of the story. And, and it's kind of that whole thing where you, you kind of get that sense that it's – it's the, literally in this the little guy that makes the difference. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's it, you know the the hobbits are the just everyday average joes. Uh, they are pulled into a war, and then they they're the ones that make the change. Yeah, yeah. Which I think I guess again that's that's something that a lot of people can get into and immediately associate with. Yeah, absolutely. We were just talking, Jim, about um, about there's a real clear moral of the story with all of yeah. this, which is that if you are courageous and if you do the right thing, then good will always overcome evil. Yes, and that's you know that that's ultimately the journey he went on in his life. Uh, yeah. I'm not quite sure where you lost me. Um, my internet crashed. Um, but yeah, I, what I was saying was you know. That, that understanding of the man and his journey and the fellowship that he formed with his friends just informs so much, informs so much of understanding him and his writing. Um, if you look at the stuff that his son's done since, so his son has taken the books and he's even expanded them more. So his, his son's body of work, I think, outstrips... I was going to say there's quite, there is quite a few books, isn't there now? Like including his as well, obviously. There's because even Tolkien did more, didn't he? Than more than I realised. Yeah. That many um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a massive body of work, really, but bigger than people first realised. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You just that you that people just think it's the three one three Lord of the Rings books isn't it? and then Hobbit, but it's not. Yeah. No. There's uh, and you know there's. That as as a world, it is the most complete because there is so much. Without a doubt. Um, I think it's it's a masterful creation. Uh, it's one that I love revisiting. Um, but yeah, it is a labour of love, and I think understanding him does help. Um, so I, you know, I I recommend everyone, even if you're not going. To read the books, watch the film of Tolkien because his story itself is one 
that's worth hearing. But we as a species, we 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 anchor on that storytelling ability, and that's what Tolkien got. Yeah, yeah. And he harnessed. Um, we, we're approaching, we're approaching our, the time to leave Middle Earth. Um, I think for me, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful place and world. I think the detail that's there is unrivaled, as I've said. Um, if if I was to put a question to you all about Middle Earth, I think it would probably be what what do you see of Middle Earth in the real world? Because that's that that for me, Tolkien was writing a mirror. He was writing a parody. He wanted us to see ourselves. So what do you see of Middle Earth in the real world? Or real world in Middle Earth? For me, the the biggest thing that comes out of this is that people are always capable of so much more than they believe they are. Yeah, I was going to say courage. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. People assume that they are fairly small and insignificant. Yeah. And what the book shows is it's the insignificant that wins the day. Well, that's it. And it, and it is just uh, it's a very obvious metaphor, isn't it? It's like you can do something as a, as a small person, someone that feels like maybe, you know, a blade of grass or a drop of water in the ocean or a cog in the machine, whatever, doesn't matter you can still do something you can make a change in some way yeah. and that's that's kind of what lord of the rings is about isn't it and you know and you know if you can make that change you probably will like i think that's it it's kind of sometimes you you're thrown into those situations without realizing it yeah i mean the the other thing that i think um is perhaps sometimes I mean, I agree completely with what you all said, uh, and uh, I'm not disagreeing at all. But what I'd, I'd like to end on tonight is maybe the bit, um, the hang, the language hangover that people perhaps don't realise we have with Tolkien, because there's a lot that came out of Tolkien um, that is in our language, in our everyday, in the same way that Shakespeare created a lot of language that we use every day. Um, Tolkien created a lot of phrases that have become cliche. All who wonder who, who all who wonder who are not all who wonder are not lost. Mm. All that glitters is not gold. These are Tolkien's words. And there's quite a few of them when you look and it's immensely quotable immensely quotable as a book and there are so many and um one of my favorite quotes from the book is the when um i mean the full quote's quite a bit longer i can't remember all the full quote but it ends with all we have to do all we have is to decide what to do with the time we have mm. because it's that thing of you know you can't change the world um you know, no individual, and I think this is where you're right, Wendy, we, we don't understand our own power because no individual can act 
to alter the world single-handedly. But we all can alter the world single-handedly in tiny, tiny amounts. And when we all act together, and when we all do the, or not even acting together, but when we all do the right thing, those little changes that we all make add up to a big impact. And I think there are new messages and new levels where this story can be taken um, to look at our own world. You know, when Tolkien wrote this, he was thinking about war and evil and the, th the problems of his generation and era. Whereas now, looking at that same message of working together to do little implements, little increments of good that together add up to a bigger thing, could be a message about global warming. Mm. You know, we all need to do that little bit ourselves that adds up to the much greater home. <coughs> right. Um, our time on Middle Earth has sadly come to an end. Um, I'm sure if Johnny were here, he'd give us another couple of hours. Um, I'm sure if Johnny, I, mean, I know he's upset that he missed it, but unfortunately he just wasn't able to make it. Um, so before we go, uh, does anyone have anything they'd like to end with? I would just say that if this has sparked any interest, please check out the Shelf Indulgence website um, because the author's night pages are packed with information, not just about the books that we talk about, but actually about the author and about the world that they've created. So if this has sparked an interest and you want to read a bit more and you want it to be accessible, please check out www.shelfindulgence.uk um, and have a look at the Tolkien page because it's well worth a read. Yeah, and I, I must say, uh, Andrew, who does our website, much, much thanks to him. Um, there's a there's a vast quantity of stuff on there. Um, the the Discworld page is a wonderful, beautiful thing to uh, to read, um, and certainly the the bits that he, he puts on for all of our shows, fantastic. Uh, uh, it's well worth a visit. Yes. So, um, anything from Matt and Emily to finish? Do you have anything you want to say before we go? Um, I would say um, if you are considering taking a dive into it and you haven't gone and and maybe you're a bit intimidated, just try The Hobbit first and then you'll know. I think if you read The Hobbit and think this is too much, then it won't be for you. But if, if it's not, then keep going. Because, I mean, you know, we'll have to wade through Tom Bombadil and all this extra <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you'll make your way. But... Uh, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> uh, Tom. Um, well, and I suppose, yes, I, I'm going to finish on a, a great quote from the man himself from the books. If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. And until next week, ladies and gents, good reading. This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores. Or just say, Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know 
on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks. <laughs>